If you know me, I love studying Christian evidences and presenting on Christian evidences. But one of the challenges in doing that is sometimes it just becomes cool information, but not actually about implementation. So if I believe God exists and the Bible is God's word and Jesus is God's son, what does that mean for me? What does that do for me on Monday? And so I try to have some application on the tail end of those uh, presentations, uh, what we do with this information, what it means to us. And this particular study was kind of an attempt at the end of uh, meetings where maybe the theme was Christian evidences, uh, specifically uh, what does Christian evidences do for me, kind of flipping the script. We talk about the evidences that give us faith, that cause us to believe that God exists, that the Bible is his word, that Jesus is his son. Where's the actual evidence that we believe those things? And so I think you'll find that our study this morning will go well with our theme from this past week. Biblical accounts and biblical characters. We'll be studying characters of faith presented throughout Hebrews, the 11th chapter. But really, the main character this morning is you and me. We want to talk about our story. And if our faith was put on trial, is there enough evidence to convict us of being a Christian, of being a believer? That's the sentiment in the message that we want to consider for a little while this morning. First Peter chapter 1, as Peter here talks about this inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you, were kept by the keeping power of God, guarded through faith into a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks about how uh, we, whom having not seen you love him, whom though now you see him not yet believing, ye rejoice greatly with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And that we're able to go through these tough times, these manifold trials, our faith is proved by fire. And in verse 7, he talks about that the proof of your faith may be more precious than gold that perishes though it is proved by fire may be found into praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's that concept, the proof of our faith, that we want to consider for a little while this morning. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul writes here, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. And it's this exercise that we want to undertake in our study. We want to put our faith on trial. We want to examine the testimony. We want to consider and call up the eyewitnesses. And I believe Hebrews chapter 11 provides us with characteristics and criteria of genuine biblical faith by which we can render a verdict. And so as we go to Hebrews the 11th chapter, before we consider all the examples and illustrations of faith, the Hebrew writer starts by giving us a working definition of biblical faith in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so as we dissect and break this verse, this definition of biblical faith, it's a conviction regarding things that we can't see. Now, it's a conviction that's based on testimony and evidences, reasons where God has given us to believe. Verse 3 of Hebrews 11 talks about by faith we understand. Our faith is based on truth and reason and rationality and logic. It's not a blind leap in the dark, as many of the misconceptions and perverted definitions of faith would allege. And so it's a conviction regarding things that we can't see based on the evidence and testimony that gives us a confidence regarding our future, a hope regarding our future, a conviction that gives us a confidence that is seen 
and our conduct. And this leads to the first characteristic of evident faith that we see in every example given in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Faith is seen in our conduct. Faith obeys. We see that Abraham, the father of faith, verse 8 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. We go down the list, this chart of action verbs connected with the phrase by faith testifies to the nature of genuine faith. Every example describes what faith did and what faith does. And the convicting question for us to consider this morning is what does your faith do? And what does my faith do? We can insert this working definition of the phrase by faith in each of these examples. By faith meant that the believer yielded to divine instruction. Here the phrase by faith spans the Red Sea and includes every step they took in crossing it. Noah's faith caused him to prepare. Every nail struck was by faith. Abraham was justified after he offered. The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled. And it's the case that if the Israelites had not walked around Jericho, the walls would not have fallen regardless of what they believed. It's the case that if Noah hadn't prepared the ark, he and his family would not have been saved regardless of what they believed. Faith only would have left Abraham and Ur, Noah and water, Moses and Pharaoh's court, Israel and Egypt, Rahab and Jericho, because biblical faith is taking God at his word and doing what he says. James discusses this same concept in James chapter 2, when he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He goes on to talk about the devil's belief. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Verse 23 talks about Abraham being called a, a friend of God because of his faith. In verse 24, the only time you'll find the phrase faith only in the entire Bible, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Faith without works is dead. And so if faith Plus, obedience makes me a friend of God. The question then becomes, what does faith minus obedience make me? You see, there's a very clear and definite connection between belief and obedience in the Bible. And I want to give you a few examples of this. Hebrews 3, and talking about the children of Israel who weren't able to enter into rest, into the promised land, because of unbelief. They mentally acknowledged and knew that God existed. They had plenty of evidence of God's existence, yet we're told they didn't believe because belief is more than mentally acknowledging God's existence. So they weren't able to enter his rest because they were disobedient. And we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. The synonym of unbelief is disobedience. Similarly, the synonym of belief is obedience. John 3, 36. We mentioned this Thursday night as we studied the new birth in John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that obeyeth not. The opposite of believing is not obeying. Acts 14, a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed, but the Jews that were disobedient. So we see a very definite and clear connection between belief and obedience throughout the Bible. I think it's interesting as you go to the Roman road of salvation, as many people talk about and use the book of Romans to say, all grace, no law, you don't have to obey God, you don't have to submit to God. What's interesting, this very book is bookended, the first chapter and the last chapter of the book of Romans, by the phrase or the expression, obedience of faith. 
In fact, language authorities, when they talk about pistis in the Greek, translated faith, includes the idea of obedience, the action that proves the trust and the confidence that we place in an object. It was used to refer to the reliability of parties and agreements and contracts and marriages. So it includes the idea of faithfulness or fidelity. You can't disobey God by faith. Think about uh, an example or a time in my life when I was probably about 10 and my dad had sent me down to get the mail at a community mailbox down the street but I had no interest in doing that because to get there, I had to walk by a house with a dog that looked like the dog on Sandlot. And there was no physical barrier that I could see, no fence that would prevent him from eating me. And my dad reassured me and told me that dog can't get you. That dog's not going to get you. Have I ever let anything happen to you? And I should have had faith, not a blind leap, but faith based on prior experience with my dad and his promises that he wouldn't let anything happen to me. I should have trusted that. I should have known. I should have done the math that he must see something that I don't see. He must know something that I don't know. And what I came to find out later was there was an electric fence under the ground and that dog was wearing a shock collar that would keep him in the yard. But I wanted to walk by sight, not by faith. Faith moves us and takes us to the mailbox. Is our faith living or dead? You can say, I believe this fill in the blank, but if that doesn't move me, if that doesn't make a difference in how I live my life every day and impacts the lives of others every day, what is that? Is my faith hearsay? Am I lying on a stand? Am I wearing a name but not living a life? And so we see also that faith gives us perspective. It's a perspective on life. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith of Moses and about his perspective. Faith causes us to refuse and forsake things that aren't in line with our long-term goals and objectives. How often do we say no to and deny things of the world and instead choose the things of God? That's what people of faith do. Faith is willing because of that perspective to suffer affliction. We aren't exempted because of our faith from adversity. In fact, we're promised adversity, but we are distinguished by our response. Our true nature and character and example is manifested to its greatest degree in adverse situations. That's why James writes in James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Faith gives us a different perspective on life and on adversity. Faith gives us that perspective we talked about last Sunday, the God is bigger perspective that results in perseverance. Faith causes us to esteem, to have the right priorities and values and focus in life. We talked about commitment. We entrust things. We invest in things that we believe will give us the greatest return on investment. So not just money, but think about your time and your energy, the essence of your life. What are you investing in? What are you talking about? Because that reveals our real beliefs and values and convictions. True faith discerns the quality of relative values. That's what Moses did. He weighed the difference between the temporal and the eternal, between the material and the spiritual, and he valued and esteemed the reward of heaven 
more than the treasures of Egypt. And if you study the treasures in Egypt at that time in Pharaoh's house, you can appreciate what he was willing to give up because of his faith. People of faith can't be bought. Real faith is never for sale. And that's why we see these examples of faith willing to get outside of their comfort zone, willing to take a journey, to be uncomfortable in the interim, short term, to be comfortable eternally long term. And because of this perspective, faith endures. We believe that he is, that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And we find the word promise throughout Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We're focused on the promises of God. We embrace and confess the promises of God. They kept their eyes on the prize. First Peter chapter one, stay faithful. There's a reward at the end. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When our faith becomes sight and we see him as he is, we can endure and be patient. We know this from theory and from experience. We can endure things and be patient when we know the outcome. When we know something ultimately is going to work out in the end, that's when we have patience. That's when we can endure something. It's when we are unsure of the future that we get impatient, that we lose our endurance and we give up. We can endure because of the promises of God, looking to the reward of our faith, which allows us to diligently seek him and see him who is invisible. Faith endures. Christians should be the most resilient people on the face of the earth, yet half the time we walk around like Eeyore. Our faith assures us of what we hope for, and that means we are able to persevere as a result. Faith gives us perspective on life, and because of that perspective, we're willing to offer ourselves. We're willing to make sacrifices in this life because of that perspective. Hebrews 11, verse 4, speaking of the faith of Abel, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. The ESV goes on to say, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Faith pursues excellence. Faith is not uh, okay with mediocrity. Faith believes in bringing its best because we believe it matters. We don't operate under this assumption of it doesn't matter or that's not a salvation issue. Faith strives for Christian excellence, seeks to excel in the edification of the church. And faith offers God what he asks for. Faith doesn't offer red lines, doesn't offer substitution. Faith doesn't rely on the wisdom and emotions of, God, of men, doesn't trust in gimmicks, but in the pattern and design of God. Faith is God-centered and exalting, not man-centered and exalting. Yet many worship leaders will go to Vegas to study shows and productions and special effects to manipulate emotions and entertain and attract audiences. And the question becomes, are we going to put our faith in special effects or in the power of the word to effect change? Viva Las Vegas or to God be the glory. I stand in awe of you or me. Faith in Walt Disney World worship or New Testament worship. People of faith understand that God is our ultimate audience and it allows us to offer not only sincere worship, but worship that has substance as well. People of faith worship. They assemble and they fellowship. We see that throughout the book of Acts. You think about when somebody goes on trial, who were you with? What were you doing? What's your alibi? What's our alibi? Do we have an evident faith? Who are we spending our time with? Hebrews chapter 11 talked about how these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Verse 17, speaking of Abraham's faith, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Faith is willing to make these sacrifices. We see his 
the Hebrew writer goes on to mention these miscellaneous examples of faith and that they were willing to pay the ultimate price for their faith and experience tremendous persecution and suffering and torture and even give their life. You think about the apostles and how they, according to tradition, were martyred for their faith. Those living in the first century, when Christian wrote to the emperor in Rome that the blood of martyrs is seed. And we see that in their faith, their courage. We're surprised sometimes to be reminded that some people, some Christians are still experiencing this persecution and giving their life for what they believe today. And we see a lot of times throughout the book of Acts, it talks about the tremendous things they were accomplishing and the successes they were having, often connecting it back to their boldness. They were bold. They perceived they had been with Jesus. They were willing to say what needed to be said and do what needed to be done because of the boldness, the confidence, because of the cause they believed in. But we won't go to church because we have a headache. We won't evangelize and minister sometimes, even in the air conditioning, because it might inconvenience us. We're not afraid of dying. We're afraid of an awkward moment. But being a Christian in the first century wasn't a Sunday-only affair. It was a daily, lay-your-life-on-the-line commitment. But sadly for us, often today, it's an appendix that we add on to the end whenever it's convenient. And I ask myself sometimes, would I be willing to do what these heroes of faith, these martyrs are willing to do? Would I be willing to die for Jesus tomorrow? The answer is, are you willing to live for him today? Don't claim you'll die for somebody if you're not willing to live for them. And if we have this attitude, there's no greater sacrifice than someone else's, that's going to be evident in the way that we live our life. Romans 4, going back to the faith of Abraham and being not weak in faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. We see again these characteristics of the definition of faith. God asked Abraham to make this sacrifice, to offer his son. And Abraham did the math and realized God had promised to bless all nations through his seed through Isaac, and so if God asked him to make this sacrifice, he had such faith that he believed God would raise Isaac back from the dead, even though he had never seen that before. A conviction regarding something we haven't seen that gives us a confidence regarding our future that's seen in our conduct. Fully persuaded and convinced. Do I have faith that moves me like Abraham? Do I have faith that moves mountains even when sometimes the mountain that maybe needs to be moved is me? Do I have a confidence as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and the way that I respond to adversity that allows my test to become a testimony, that allows my trial to become a triumph? Here you go, Jerry. said we were going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I said last Sunday, one of the most inspiring statements of conviction in the entire Bible when David said, is there not a cause? I think this is right there with it as the king had prepared uh, this fire that he had out, made this statue and everybody had to bow down and worship the statue and the music started playing and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do that. And he gave them another chance. And they said, we're not even worried about this. We're not even careful in how we respond and how we answer. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11. He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. 
there's a Mercy Me song about this specific passage and this this concept called Even If. And I didn't think they could make a song as powerful as I can only imagine, but I think this one's right up there with it. And when you consider the lyrics of that song, this message, this sentiment, of even if you don't, whether you're going through some type of adversity, health problems, or you're watching someone else go through health problems or relationship problems or addiction, such an inspiring message. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, but what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. Oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. And if we'll make this sentiment, this attitude, our anthem, our song, your faith will be as evident to the world as it's ever been. Faith causes us to offer and make sacrifices, and that allows us to be a blessing in the lives of other people. We see that throughout Hebrews 11. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Abel, though being dead, still speaks. Noah, we wouldn't be here, but by his faith. Abraham, and his faith and the effect, Moses, his faith and its effect on the people of God. And so our faith should bless the lives of other people. James talks about this, James chapter 2, when he says, someone has a need and you say, God bless you, go with God, what doth it profit? We prove our good wishes for others when we translate them into benevolent action. Second Corinthians four thirteen. I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. That's a natural response. If we really believe in something and the benefits, and if I found the cure to cancer, what would I do with it? We share it with other people. Why aren't we doing that spiritually? One atheist said, if I believed in hell as you Christians claim you do, I would crawl on my hands and knees across burning deserts to tell one person how to avoid going there. And so you think about trying to sell something you don't believe in whenever I'm up on stage and my kids think, well, dad's selling a product that he doesn't believe in himself. That's called hypocrisy. And that's one of the greatest turnoffs there is. We try to sell people something that we really don't believe in, but we don't typically sell stuff. We don't believe in. You're not going to find me selling the virtues of vegetables. I think many of you know that judging from the meals, which were excellent. And there were not many vegetables. I have gotten better about that. I am willing to eat vegetables, but I guess the word got around, but I'm not going to sell vegetables. And that's why my wife takes the lead on that with our children, because I'm a hypocrite. And when it comes to eating vegetables, I'm not going to sell you those pop machines that you hit the buttons and the drink comes out uh, tasting like a suicide, 25 different flavors. I don't believe in that, but I do believe in my smoker. I've been evangelizing people this past week about my smoker and about barbecue. That's what we do when we believe in something. Early Christians really believed in the gospel, and that conviction transformed ordinary people into extraordinary servants of God who did extraordinary things. And if we really have that kind of extreme faith and conviction as Christians, why doesn't it show more, and why isn't it having a greater impact? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 
The concept is make an impression, make an imprint, like a stamp, make your mark on somebody. People need to see our faith and our faith can touch lives for generations. Think about how you ended up here. I love talking to older people. I love talking to my grandparents, my grandma about her parents and grandparents and my grandpa's parents and grandparents and how they came to New Testament Christianity. Think about all the witnesses that we could add to this list in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, heroes of faith in our life. Think about the generations and lives that could be impacted by your faith or your lack of faith. If added up over time, your name may be forgotten in a hundred years, but your legacy, your influence lives on because real faith still speaks and blesses today. And finally, faith causes us to seek salvation. Hebrews 11, verse 7, speaking of the faith of Noah, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That's what faith does. We have a fear and a confidence in God based on our trust in the promises of God, positive and negative. We are motivated to get prepared because we trust the promise of God and the blessings that come with being prepared. And we also trust the promises of God of what happens when we're not prepared. We have this healthy fear and love for God. We think about Israel. You didn't obey me because you didn't tremble before me. You didn't respect me. One translation of this says in reverence, Noah prepared the ark. You think about how children sometimes don't obey their parents because there's not belief. There's not credibility that's been established. They don't think you're going to spank them. Proverbs 31, talking about the virtuous woman, one of the things it says there about her is she smiles at the future. She laughs at the future. Why? Because she knows both her family and herself are prepared for it. And that's what we need to be. People of faith prepare for the future. Worship, evangelism, be ready to give an answer. Ministry, we're prepared today, tomorrow, forever. That's what people of faith do. Peter talking about the salvation of Noah and his family. While the ark was a preparing, wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water, the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about Thursday night, the power's not in the water, the power's in the blood. It's not valid without the prerequisites of faith and repentance. And so you look at the Greek words here, saved by, Greek word dia, through, means a manner, the circumstances one finds themselves in because of something affected, via, the medium, the agency, water was the medium by which God used to enable Noah and his family to escape the fate of the lost. It was the dividing line between the lost and the damned, destroying the old world, resurrecting and lifting Noah and his family up safety in the newness of life, in the ark, a type of the church. The water isn't the salvation, but it was the means by which God brought about the salvation, just like the blind man being healed by Jesus or Naaman being cleansed by his leprosy. The power to save is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The question is, how do I access the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Romans 6, Colossians 2, through baptism. I want you to notice Peter's emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus, because many people say, we're not saved by what we do, but what Jesus did, and that's absolutely correct. We looked at that in Titus 3, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. We're not saved by works we do, but we're saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How do we access that? Through baptism. 
Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. So the question becomes, how do I obey the gospel? Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about this form of doctrine. The Greek concept is a mold, a pattern. And he said, when you obeyed that, you were the servants of sin, but now you're not. You're free from sin. How do they do that? You look at the Greek there, he's talking about a point in their past, at initial conversion, when they obeyed the gospel. Romans 6, verses 3 through 7, baptized into his death, accessing the benefits of his death, where the blood was shed, crucified with him, buried with him, so that we can be resurrected in the newness of life, putting our faith not in ourselves, not in what we did, but what he did. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So he makes it clear we access what he did by putting our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by being baptized. What does baptism symbolize? Paul says the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the means of our salvation. Colossians 2, a cutting off from sin. First Peter, Peter says the waters of the flood that saved Noah and his family. How could anyone add up these passages and get the idea that baptism symbolizes past forgiveness received before baptism. These passages make it clear the essentiality of baptism prior to salvation, that baptism is about having faith in the operation of God, Colossians 2.12. Paul writes, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Listen, if God wants to require baptism, you're still being saved by faith and obedient, living faith that James describes in James chapter 2, having faith in the operation of God. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. By faith, our sin is washed away after faith, repentance, and baptism. Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you really believe? Do you believe so much in what he did that you're willing to join in that form of doctrine, obeying the gospel, being baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where salvation is found. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, For, this, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The very concepts of faith we've been talking about throughout our study this morning. And as a result... He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And he goes on to describe the reward that was set before him. Do we have a confidence regarding our future or are we overcome with our past anxiety, guilt, and fear of death? If so, maybe we aren't fully convinced. Maybe we aren't fully trusting the promises of God that he is and that he is able. Even with those heroes of faith and their imperfections and the terrible things that they did. Are we putting our faith and trust in Christ and what he did or what we did? And that's the irony, the very thing many accuse us of doing by emphasizing obeying the gospel, trusting their prayer, their salvation experience, their faith, their feelings and emotions instead of the testimony of the gospel and the word of God. That's why our faith and our salvation is like this, because we're trusting in what we did instead of trusting that if we believe, repent, and are baptized, we are washed in the blood and we have hope of eternal life. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
Believest thou this? Do you believe this? Do we believe in the God who brings people back from the dead? Do I believe in the grace, mercy, and love of God? Do I have faith that there is power in the blood to wash away my sin? Romans chapter 5, verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans. Paul writes here, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Do you believe in the God who will never quit loving you? Do you believe in the God who loves prodigals? I want to tell you that will transform the way you view God, the way you view others, the way you view yourselves. And maybe this is one of the hardest things to do sometimes with me personally. When I look at what I've done to trust that he is bigger than what I've done, that his grace is bigger and abounds more than what I've done. And it's critical in persistence and perseverance. This perspective, faith that doesn't quit, faith that doesn't give up because we are trusting in the promise of God that where sin abounded, grace abounds more. And as we bring our study to a close, going back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, after giving all these examples and illustrations of faith, he continues, these all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, here's the conclusion. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The story continues with us. If you need the Lord to write your story, to write your name in the book of life, or to change your story, your story can be written, your story can be changed. You can change the verdict this morning if you need to do that. If your Christianity was put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a believer?